Hey there, my name is Roy and I am the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. And you joined us for part of our summer hymn series. Um, today, we're into the fifth week of this current series, Summer Hymns. Last week, Pastor Justin led a hymn sing morning. Uh, so there, there technically wasn't a sermon, online sermon. But to, so today is actually part four of our series. In summer hymns, we've been teaching, we've been devoting sort of our summer teaching series to looking at the church's most beloved songs of the past, the hymns. And we're digging into their, their stories, the inspiration behind why they were written, the circumstances of the authors when they, when they wrote these, and the biblical truth that they are tied to. Well, an old farmer went to the city one weekend and, and attended the big city church. Came home and his wife asked him, well, how was it? Well, said the farmer, it was, it was good. They, they did something different, however. They sang praise choruses instead of hymns. Praise choruses, asked his wife. What are those? Oh, they're okay. They're sort of like hymns, only different, said the farmer. Well, what's the difference, asked the wife. The farmer said, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a hymn. If on the other hand, I were to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, 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 the cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the white cows, the black and white cows, the cows, cows, cows are in the corn, are in the corn, are in the corn, in the corn, corn, corn. Then if I were to repeat the whole thing two or three times, well, that would be a praise chorus. Well, as luck would have it, the exact same Sunday, a young man, uh, a new Christian from the city church, attended the small town country church. And he came home and his wife asked him how it was. And well, said the young man, it was, it was good. They did something different, however. They sang hymns instead of regular songs. Hymns, asked the wife, what are those? Well, they're okay. They're sort of like regular songs. They're only different, said the, said the young man. Well, what's the difference, asked the wife. And the young man said, well... It's, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a regular song. If, on the other hand, I were to say to you, O Martha, dear Martha, hear thou my cry, inclinest thine ear to the words of my mouth, turn thou thy whole wonders ear by and by to the righteous, glorious truth. For the way of the animals, who can explain? There in their heads is no shadow of sense. Harkest thy God's son or his reign, unless the mild tempting corn they are fenced. Yea, the cows in glad bovine rebellious delight have broke free their shackles, their warm pens and stewed. They goaded by minions of darkness and night, then all my mild sweet corn have chewed. Well, then if I was to do that, only verses 1, 3, and 4 and change keys on the last verse, well... That would be a hymn. Today we're looking at the hymn, Just As I Am. Just As I Am was written by a young lady named Charlotte Elliott from England. Charlotte, the granddaughter of a fairly well-known pastor, was a bright, talented young lady that spent a lot of her time painting portraits and writing humorous poetry. By the time she had turned 32, life would become much, much harder. She became sick with an illness that would permanently leave her disabled. Her days would be full of pain and fatigue, and many days she was not able to get out of bed. This led to depression and frustration in this sense that she had nothing to offer the world and nothing to offer God. 
One day, Charlotte's family was visited by a famous preacher from Switzerland, Dr. Caesar Malan. Malan had a conversation with Charlotte and inquired if she had truly accepted Jesus as her savior, that to be saved, she would need to fully submit her life to his leading. Well, maybe it was the fact that Charlotte was having a rough day physically, or maybe it was that she mistook this comment as being a little judgmental. But Charlotte told Milan to bug off, or words to that effect. A short while later, Charlotte would apologize to the pastor and admit her defensiveness came from the fact that she felt like she was too flawed to be a Christian. Well, Milan accepted her apology and then reassured her with words, with some words that would change her outlook for the rest of her life. He said, Charlotte, you are loved just as you are. Well, Charlotte would later call this her spiritual birthday. Charlotte and Milan would correspond for years. Well, 13 years later, Charlotte's brother, who was a pastor, organized a fundraiser to help, help send the daughters of poor pastors to school. It was a cause that resonated with Charlotte and one she was eager to help with. But on the day of the bazaar that they were running to raise money for this, for this cause, Charlotte's illness overtook her. She was too sick to attend. So left home, feeling useless, feeling defeated, her mind began to sink into a dark depression. That's when Pastor Milan's words came back to her. She picked up a pen and she wrote to the words to, Just as I am. Copies of the song would be sold to raise money for that same cause that she'd been unable to attend. In fact, the best fundraiser her brother's church had was that song. Charlotte's song has resonated with people for decades. Famous pastor Billy Graham would claims that Just As I Am is the song that was playing when he gave his life to Jesus at an altar. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you were unworthy or worthless. Now imagine this for a moment. Imagine you show up to a party at some point and the host is giving out name tags. You know, we've all seen those, hello, my name is, and you write your name down and you probably worn one at some point. Now imagine this, imagine that the host says, I don't want you to put your name on it. I want you to write who you really are. It could be a word, it could be a phrase, but I want you to write down who you really are. And you need to be honest. Nothing imaginary, nothing, nothing, no fake persona, who you really are. That, that, then I want you to wear that with pride. The question is, what would you write? How would you describe who you really are? Many of us subconsciously define who we are by sometimes our challenges. We might write, I'm divorced or sick or abused or depressed or unemployed or whatever we see our challenge to be. For some of us, we write our defining characteristic as what we do. Like for example, I'm a pastor. I might write, I'm, uh, hello, I'm a pastor or I'm a doctor or I'm a teacher or I'm a salesperson or I'm retired. For others, we might write our, our political affiliation. I'm a conservative, I'm a liberal. Eventually, you would come up with something that would define you. We call that our identity. To define identity, identity is the truest thing about you. It's not what you believe. 
It's not what you've been labeled. It's not what other people believe about you. Your identity is the truest thing about you. That's who you really are. The problem is, many of us have bought into a lie of who we really are. The reality is, though, there are multiple factors that determine our identity. Psychologists call this the early and often factor. Early, as, as, as a child, things were said about you by friends, your loved ones. These are the words that were spoken over to you early on in your life, and they have a tendency to shape who you are and who you believe yourself to be. For some of you, you were told early that you were unconditionally loved, that your parents were proud of you, that you felt valued, and that and you walked in that as you, as you journeyed through life. For others, it was the opposite. You felt like you could never do anything right. You could never live up to the expectation that, that your family or friends or parents had for you. Like you were a big disappointment. And you walked in that as well. Maybe still carry that. Then there's the, that's the early factor. Then there's the often factor. These are the things that are spoken over you often, even into adulthood. Things like maybe you've been told you're good looking or you're ugly or you're smart or you're dumb or you're talented or, or you're worthless. And even if those things that are spoken are not true in the least, if we hear them often enough, we tend to believe them. But your identity isn't necessarily the thing spoken early or often. Your identity is the truest thing about you. What is your identity? Who are you really? See, there's a problem when your identity is tied into something that is temporary. Like, if your identity is your job, all it takes is a phone call today to let you know that you've been laid off and that you've lost your job. And the problem with that is, is that not only in that moment have you lost your job, but you've lost a sense of who you are. You've lost your identity. If your identity is in your looks, that too can be changed with a, a single car accident. If it's your athletic ability, an injury can change who you are. Your singing voice can be taken. Your wealth can be gone. Most things can be changed in a moment. And if that's where your identity is in, in these temporary things, you end up losing who you are and you're not sure what, what your identity is anymore. Your ability or your behavior does not define your identity. Scripture teaches us over and over that our identity directs behavior, not the other way around. In other words, what you do doesn't determine who you are. Who you are determines what you do. This is the reason that Paul, Paul who wrote much of the New Testament, Paul the writer of Ephesians gives us this interesting take on in our identity. Paul uses this phrase, in Christ. In Christ. He says that you and I, when we submit our lives to Jesus, are now in Christ. That your identity is not tied to what you do, who you know, what you've accomplished. It's not even in your failures. Those things don't determine your identity. Your identity is in Christ. That it doesn't matter what you would write on your name tag or on your label or what other people would write for you. At the end of the day, if you're able to write in Christ on your name tag, your life will be different. When you have your identity tied to anything else, it's easy to feel inadequate. That's why you see people with PhDs that feel like they're dumb. 
That's why you see very thin models develop an eating disorder because they don't think they're thin enough. That's why we see millionaires that don't think that they're, they're very wealthy, that they need more money. There's this, there's this part of us that when we have our, the, the wrong things on our name tag, we feel as though we're not enough. We feel like we just don't measure up. Charlotte Elliott faced the same thing. Her identity said invalid. This was the Victorian era term for anyone that was, had physical limitations. That's the label that she would carry. And that's what Charlotte would have written on her name tag, invalid. And she believed it disqualified her from being effective in life and effective as a Christian. But Paul would have responded the same way that Dr. Milan did with her. When you are found to be in Christ, nothing else matters. What others say, or even what you say, they would, they would both say, you are loved just as you are. That's your identity. In Christ, just as you are. I want to look at Ephesians chapter, 12, chapter 2. To get a better understanding of Ephesians, you need to understand where it was written from. Ephesians is this letter written to a city in Ephesus. Now, if you were with us in the last series that we did, Dear Church, in part one, we looked at a different letter that was written to the church. Uh, we find, you find that in Revelation. But Jesus wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. And if you remember, we kind of broke down what Ephesus was. It was a major trading center. It was a center of knowledge. They had a massive library that they're very proud of. It was a port city. There was a lot of commercial trade going on. They had a theater that, that sat 25,000 people. It's like... It was almost like the New York City of their time. So if you were from Ephesus, you made it known. You were proud that you were an Ephesian. So in chapter 1, Paul writes this letter and says, I, I know you're proud of your city, but your identity can't be wrapped up in where you're from. Your identity can't be wrapped up in politics or nationalism. He, he lays that down first in chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, he tackles identity again. But this time, he looks at when we put our identity and our failures or we look at our past. And he goes on to say, you are not who you were. I get it. You regret who you were. You regret the college version of you. You regret that weekend where you let things get out of hand. You regret that relationship. Those things you wish you could do have a do-over on. Those wasted years. Those things you don't like to talk about. They don't define you anymore. See, when you are in Christ, your identity isn't your past. You're not labeled by your worst moments or your worst decisions. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, this is Paul writing, he says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Paul says, like, before Jesus, before you put your trust in him, you were dead. Past tense. That's behind you now. It's done. When you write your name on your name tag and label yourself, do not dare put something from your past. That's over. That's not who you are anymore. Verse 2. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the un unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. See, a lot of times when you're reading scripture, you see this where it talks about your past as the past and explains, here's where you were going. Here's what the consequences could have been, should have been. 
would have been. But because of God's mercy, because of God's love, because he cares about you so much, that no longer matters. That's behind you. So you're no longer defined by your worst day, your worst decision. You're no longer defined by the things you wish you could undo. Once you've been been forgiven, you receive a new identity. Now, some of you have been a Christian a long time. You've heard this message before, but you tune it out for some reason like it's just white noise. You've, you've never really accepted this reality. But you can't take hold of what God wants for you and hold on to the past at the same time. It's like this. If you remember those old Tarzan movies or, or TV show or, or cartoons, you'd see Tarzan swinging from vine to vine. In order to move forward, he has to let, as he grabs onto the next vine, he has to let go of the one behind him. Because if he decides he's going to grab hold of the next one, but he also doesn't want to let go of the other one, what happens is he just gets stuck. He doesn't, he doesn't progress any further. He doesn't move forward through the jungle. And it's the same for you. To move forward in the plan that God's got for your life, it doesn't work if you refuse to let go of the past that is behind you. On the flip side, while some define who they are by their past failures, others define themselves by their their past successes, the corporate ladder they've climbed, the trophies and awards they've they've received, the applause of the crowd, in the, the, the same way that they would mark their name tag as loser or failure or something they're ashamed of, others would write, I'm a college graduate, I'm a PhD, I'm a champion, I'm a world champion, I'm a Nobel Peace peace prize winner, etc. But in the same way that your shameful acts don't define you, neither do the things that you're proud of. You are not defined by what you do, good or bad. You are not what you do. Paul explains this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. He'd later go on in verse 8 and 9 to say, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. See, it's never been about what you've done, good or bad. We get caught in that thinking that it's, it's what we do. It's what was done for you. Because if anybody could ever wear a name tag that said successful on it, it actually would be Paul. Uh, I mean, when we look at Paul's, Paul's past, it was pretty terrible. He was a terrible person. In today's, today's standards, we would label Paul as a terrorist. Because he went around killing Christians just because of the fact that they were Christians. And then he has this encounter with God that, that, tr- that redirects the course of his life and literally transforms his eternity, transforms his mind. And he, and he realizes, I'm not defined by my past. But in the same way, I'm not defined by my success either. Look at what he says in the next book he writes, Philippians, in chapter 3. He says, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though... I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. 
I mean, this sounds like a pretty bit of a humble brag right now, right? Like he's kind of like laying out his, his credentials at this point, but he's making a point. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight years old, which is a little TMI. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees, which was the religious elite. That was what you tried to get. You try as a Jew, that's what you would try to get to. Who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without a fault. He's, he's just saying, like, you know what? For anything that we are trying to accomplish, I had accomplished it all. My heritage, my name, and my, my, my standing was all so high. He says, he goes on in verse 7, though. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Like Paul's resume is the full range. His past is shameful, but his future was so bright and so so good full of his past had persecution persecution and murder and, and but his he also in his past he had status he had heritage and then he realizes you know none of that matters even though after his encounter with god he, he did so much right he did so much to advance the gospel in, in everything he did he was this model christian after that and still he realized this doesn't matter when it comes to my identity he realizes my identity is in Christ. It's not what I did. It's not who, it's not, it's not what I accomplished. It's whose I am. And I am a child of God. In other words, your identity is not earned. It's given. Your value comes from being in Christ. Came across a story that's from 2011 about 10 years ago, in the city of Mumbai, India, there was this story that made national news. 285 young girls who grew up in an orphanage were given a renaming ceremony as a way of showing that they held value, that they held dignity. And the reason why they did this is this. In parts of India, girls have little to no value. Girls, as a gender, are seen of having no value outside that they can give birth and they can care for the home. If you have a daughter in India, when she marries, as the parents of that bride, you must pay a dowry to the groom's family. So many families actually see the daughter as being a financial burden. Too many times, young girls, for that reason, are aborted or abandoned. This has become such an issue that hospitals are now not legally, they're, they're legally banned from revealing the gender of an unborn fetus in advance. They don't want this to happen. So this orphanage, in an attempt to return some dignity to these girls, held this renaming ceremony. Now the common bond between the 285 girls was this. They all had the same name, Nakusa. All 285 were named Nakusa, when, which when translated from Hindu literally means unwanted. So in this ceremony, these young girls were dressed up in their, in their best. They, were, they had bows and braids in their hair and barrettes, and they were given this certificate along with a bouquet of flowers. 
from the district officials. And on the certificate was their new name, which they got to choose themselves. Some of the girls chose names of Bollywood stars, while others chose names that meant something. Names like, that names when translated meant loved, beautiful, good, worthy. One girl, a 15-year-old, is quoted as saying, Now in school, my classmates and friends will be calling me this new name, and that makes me very happy. That same girl had been named Nakusa by her grandfather, who was disappointed by her birth. These girls chose names that were literally the opposite of the names that they were given. And so when you understand that it doesn't matter what someone writes on your name tag, when you understand that your past doesn't get to name you, when you understand that your shame doesn't get to name you, when you understand that even your success doesn't get to name you, there you find your identity in Christ. It's like we are renamed. We get to shed the old name and allow Jesus to give us a new name. Charlotte Elliott thought that her illness defined her. Her name tag would have said sick, crippled, invalid. But the inspiration for this hymn that she would write would be when she got to, came to the conclusion that it's not what I've done or not done just as I am, and I am in Christ. He's given me a new name, and nothing else matters. Let's pray. Father God, it's, it's really tough sometimes. We get caught up in allowing ourselves to be labeled or allowing ourselves to define who we are, our identity, our worth, based on what other people say, how other people label us, the things that we do. And God, you clearly state that it doesn't matter what we do or, or don't do. It's when we put our faith in you that we become in Christ. And you get to determine our value. You get to determine our worth. You get to give us our new identity. You get to give us our new name. So God, I pray for the person right now that's, that's listening, that's struggling with their identity, who they are. And, and maybe they've listened for, for a long time, maybe since birth. They've been told they are this, or they are that, or they're not this, or they're not that. And maybe they've, been, they've heard that their entire lives, and, and they've come to the conclusion that this is who they are, and this is what they believe. And as they, as they think about what would they write on their name tag of who they really are, it's something that they're not proud of. Or maybe it's something that they are proud of, but it's something that's temporary. God, I pray that, that we would look to the person, to the, we would look to the creator, the one who created us, to look for our value, to know that we are loved. And there's nothing that we can do that will change the way you feel about us. There's nothing that we can do that will change your love for us. I pray that that's something, a reality that we would come to accept. And, and, and because of that, allow, I pray that that would be freeing today, God. I pray that we'd be able to, to walk away from here today realizing that there's a God who cares about me and loves me dearly. And that any label that anyone could give me or I could give myself pales in comparison to when I can say, 
that I am in Christ. Amen.